I'm going to make a couple statements. I want you to figure out which one you like better. We ought to pray so that we can be sanctified. And let me qualify. I, I sometimes use these terms because I want us to have definitely sermons are an educational piece to them. Um, besides just preaching at you, I want you to learn. Um, so sanctified. Uh, remember, I always use uh, justified to explain that because you'll hear justified and sanctified a lot of times from people and they get switched. Justified is when you pray and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and for him to be Lord of your life. You're justified before him. Think of justice. It's just as if you'd never sinned. He has basically uh, forgiven you, forgotten it, and you are a new creature. So just uh, justified. Sanctified is a process. Uh, so just justified, you're never more justified than the, the moment you pray and ask for forgiveness. You don't become more justified. But sanctified is a process of turning away from sin and turning closer to God. So a lot of us talk about, you know, becoming more and more like Christ. That's sanctification. All right. So so this these two statements here. Here's the first one again. Now that you understand sanctified. We ought to pray so that we can be sanctified or become more and more like Christ. Or we ought to be sanctified become more and more like Christ so that we can pray. Which one do you like better? We ought to pray so that we can be sanctified. Or we ought to be sanctified so that we can pray. The first one you like better. All right. Well, you can kind of tuck that away for a minute. Let's let's read 1 Peter 3 and it's 7 through 12. Good grief, what did I do on here? 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 7 through 12. There's no 4 in there. Okay, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you for the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, all the wives are going to love that we use this text, right? Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Maybe they don't like that part. The weaker partner and as heirs with you uh, with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Verse 8, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but, but with blessings. Because of this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Once again, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Um, there's where the four came in. I, I forgot that I added First Peter 4, 7. So, so here's the thing. I, it, it, there's, there's a balance in preaching the word of God to make sure you're giving the whole gospel because the way and style in which we preach today, which is not always similar to what you'd see if Paul was formulating a sermon, is you know, we have topical sermons. So in Bible school, you learn topical. It's just I pick a topic. I, I, find, I pray, find through scripture, that scripture that, that is about that topic, and I may have 15, 20 scriptures supporting that topic like prayer or like uh, um, sin uh, being forgiven of sin or whatever the topic and then what they call expository is where you take one text one one verse one uh, three verses whatever and you expound on them 
you, you, you di- deep dive and, and look at meanings and how it might uh, be looked at in culture and, and what, what the Lord was trying to say through that. And so in that, in, in the way we, we um, preach, it's easy sometimes to uh, skip over uh, skip over important um, I- important things. And so with preaching on grace, when preaching on grace, if I focus so heavily on grace that I forget uh, God is also a just God and God does punish evil, right? Then, then I'm missing a, a part. So that's where you get these uh, churchies terms where we talk about hypergrace, where, where there's preachers who they don't want to get on the topic of he- hell and punishment because that's not what, what is their thing. And then you got others that are what we would call the old term hellfire, brimstone, right? Preachers that it's about hell and damnation and, and try to, to scare. Well, some people say they're trying to scare you into the, the kingdom, right? So there's this balance because you've got to cover all that. And, and the, the thing is, is that many times if I was to read this text again, let's start, let's just start at verse 10. For whoever would love life and see good days, God will make him keep his tongue from evil. And God will make his lips from deceitful speech. And God will turn him from evil and do good. And, he, and, and God will make sure he seeks peace and pursues it. So, so I, I look at this and I, I say, if I'm all about grace to the point I see there's nothing on my part, God has covered everything, then I would look at it and say, well, I can't be good. I can't be good. It's popping. I apologize. Let me try moving this up here. It don't. I don't care if it looks a little funny, but I think it's there. There we go. Let me try this again. Okay. Tell me if it's better. Stop me if it's not. Okay. So, so the point is this: is that there are some who will lean so heavy to grace that that unintentionally and maybe they don't even believe that way but what they may give off to a young believer is that really there's no no real effort in trying to to be a christian because we can't try because you can't be good enough you see what i'm saying and, and therefore they they give the ideas like well that's why i believe sometimes we see uh, young believers who never grow past uh past into into being a mature christian you'll see christians who will will curse and swear and say things that culturally, whether biblically, whether you want to say whether God has a problem with those words or not, culturally offensive, and therefore if you're offending people, then that's you know not for the cause of Christ, but you're offending people just because you're offending people, then, then there's an issue there. And so with prayer, with, with prayer, when I mention those first statements, you know, do we pray so that we can be sanctified or do we be sanctified so we can pray the truth is what the word of God says is there's sometimes we can have hindrances to a prayer because of our actions, our deeds. We know that when it talks about unforgiveness. If you hold something against a brother and sister, right, and you won't, get, you won't forgive them, you purposely, I'm not going to forgive you, how, how much does it say God is forgiving you? He's not. So if you're praying for forgiveness from the Lord, is he, is, he may be hearing that, but is he answering that prayer for you? You see what I'm saying? It's... It's the importance of prayer is that we often think, I'll just pray and ask God to make me be a good Christian. But oftentimes, our prayer life suffers because we aren't doing the effort to try to 
emulate Christ in our actions, trying to be more like Christ. And true, uh, without the help of God, I can't be any better than I was when I was a sinner. It's also true that the Bible indicates that prayer is one way to support a right life, a righteous life. Colossians 1, 9-13 For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I, I like certain scriptures because um, I shouldn't, but sometimes I find humor in things that maybe there was. You guys know this because you don't laugh at some of my jokes, but I find humor in things that nobody else does. But you can read this two ways. Verse 9, for, when you think about this, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, see, I've been that person that when people meet me, they probably don't stop praying for me, right? I mean, the way, the way I would read this because of my perspective is, is that, oh, goodness, those people need help, so we never stop praying for you. This is a hard crowd tonight. Y'all are not even grinning, so I don't know if you're getting, I'm trying to be a little bit funny there. But um, Verse 10, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. So we see it's really not an either or. It's really not either or. There are sometimes we need to pray for the strength to do the right thing. And there's oftentimes the reason our prayers are going seemingly going unanswered is because there's things in our life we're not taking care of and it's a roadblock to prayer. It, it, it's as if we're not hearing God say, listen, I've already told you in my word you have to forgive your brother. You're coming to me asking about your job and you're coming to me asking about this and all that. I can't trust you with any more because I can't trust you to do what I've already written. You're harboring things. You're, you're letting your attitude get out of control. You're, you're, letting, you're letting differences between people adjust your attitude instead of letting your attitude adjust your differences between people. In other words, there's many times I can take the, I can take the approach. It, it makes me think of the protests that we see going on, right? You see a protest out on the streets. What is a protest for, right? They're trying to force people's ideals to change. It's a force to change, correct? I might be really talking fast or not making sense. I'm going to start talking pig Latin because I think some of y'all, uh, no. It's a force, right? I, I mean, it's a sad day when we see people stand in the way of cars to try to make them believe what they do, and the car just speeds up and runs them over. And see, when we take that approach to our relationship in prayer, it's much the same way. Sometimes we protest in one area of our life expecting God to fix these other areas of our life. We're trying to force God to change his opinion when he's already said, my opinion is you, you, need, to, you need to live right so we could commune because I can't tolerate, I can't tolerate you continuing in your bad attitude and expecting me to bless your life. The point that I think Paul is making is that there is a way of life that helps prayer and a way that hinders prayer. 
So, so concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. Guys, you want to get closer to God? Treat your wife better and better as God would have you to. Vice versa, wives, you want to get closer to God? One of your roadblocks is how do you talk to your husband? How do you talk about him when he's not there? What are your thoughts about them? Do you respect, disrespect them even in your thoughts? Then how do you expect God to continue to work in your life and grow you if you won't be obedient with one of the greatest gifts he's ever given you is marriage. Just think a little bit of what it was like being single. Sometimes as married folks will say, man, life was better. No, it's just you've forgotten how miserable you really were before you met them, and then you fell head over heels, right? And it was all bliss, and then you go to live together after you get married, and you realize living together changes some of the bliss because now I know that their feet stink, and now I know they chew their toenails instead of using sanitary clippers, you know? No, my wife does not do that. I know people that do that, but my wife doesn't. I just realized I could have got myself in big trouble right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think that's one of the, the ones mentioned. But No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no Christian husband should think that he can pray effectively if he has a horrible relationship with his spouse, which needs to be the most cared for relationship of all singles I don't want to leave you out just because you're not married doesn't mean that you don't have the same stipulations in fact it's almost more difficult because you don't have someone to balance you out when you're having issues my wife sometimes when I'm not doing so good and people see that she's gleaming and everybody's like okay they're okay because of Jen and rarely is it the other way around <laughs> maybe never but you know in most cases they balance you out I'm kidding but she no husband may ex expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her, as it says. We take the time to develop and maintain good marriage. It's God's will. It's serving God. It's a spiritual activity pleasing in his sight. You know, I, I've grown up um, you know, with a, with a large extended family. I've seen how my parents did things and how we did things at home. I've seen how others... And I, when, when I grew up in my home, I mentioned and joked about if my dad said not another word, you know what back-talking is? Everybody, everybody know that term? It's when you're told something and you kind of have a sharp or smart elk reply back. It wasn't allowed. I mean, I love my dad at a different day and time, but I, I, he didn't smack us around, but I really believed I'd probably get just laid out. You know, I, and you have this holy fear, and, and so if he said not another word, you just didn't even breathe, lest it be an, uh, mistaken as a word. And when I get around... Others where they built a different culture where a parent can say, I need you to go do this. Why do I have to go do that? Why do you always make me do this? It just like the hair stands up like my head because I'm expecting somebody's going to get smacked. And when they don't, you know, um, and, and even though that can sound like a silly example, you know, I often wonder what God as a Heavenly Father thinks of how we behave as children. You know, are we complaining all the time about what he's trying to do in our life? Yeah, I snatched that job from you because I have something better for you and you're never going to leave it if I didn't just take it from you because you're just not listening. Or maybe your prayer life's being hindered because of other things in your life. i got to get your attention some way. You go through all kinds of scenarios, but there is a way to live 
with our with those in our life that frees our prayers and helps us empower our spiritual impact. Peter goes on in verses 8 and 9 to call all of us, not just husbands, to be sympathetic, be brotherly and kind-hearted and humble, and not to return evil for evil, but to bless those who are unkind to us. Nothing harder, especially married folks, but even others, nothing harder when someone has said something that has hurt you or disappointed you or anything else, and for you have to turn around and not put on the fake smile, but just put on the smile and get in your heart that I love you anyway and I'm just not going to make a big deal of this. But the truth is, when we say return evil for evil, we're thinking, well, if that person shoots me with a gun and I shoot him back, that'd be wrong. And I'm not doing that. So it's not about, but it's the same way with your words. You kill people sometimes your words. They say something to you and you think, I'll just say something back. And as Christians, I don't know how we okay that with God's word. Because we are returning evil for evil. Or you upset me, so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And that one's a hard one because me and Jen, you know, it's that, that, that's how we had to start adjusting when we first got married because her way is she wants to not talk about it and just forget it and act like it never happened. I want to talk about it. So silent treatment to me feels evil. It feels evil. To her, it's kindness because she's saving me from whatever might come out <laughs> if she spoke, right? And I think, no, that's mean. I'd rather have the hard words and at least be, I know what's inside, right? Then Peter, he gives a reason for why we should live like this. It's a quote from Psalms 34 and in verse 12, and the reason comes to a climax with the same kind of argument as in 3 verse 7, namely prayers are hindered if you don't live this way. God has a special openness to the prayers of those who pursue peace and whose lips are pure and don't use guile or deceit. 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are, on the attentive, are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In, verse, in, in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says that there are special endeavors we can make so that our prayers will be helpful and not hindered. 1 Peter 4.7, The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. I, I know that verse, that chapter and verse, 1 Peter 4, 7, gets used for many different purposes. People will use that, um, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that uh, I've heard preach, you know, uh, that has to do with uh, substance use and whether, uh, you know, sipping saints, whether it's okay to, for Christians to drink alcohol modestly or, or, you know, if it's just becoming drunk, and, and we're not going to get into that tonight. That's a whole other topic, but... Uh, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled as long as you're clear-minded. But I think it's, it's greater what it's speaking to, a greater meaning than just those, those few things. Two things. First, be of sound judgment for the sake of your prayers. Second, be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. In other words, there's a way to think and live that will not hinder your prayers. And if you do not have any self-control on the way you behave, then you have hindrance to your prayer. Now, does it mean you can't speak them and feel like, you know, here's the thing. Many people may be praying. They don't hear audible voice like I don't. And they don't necessarily see action. So they just take that as, well, God's working on it. Or he's not answering. And, and we get blind to the fact that we, we may have attitudes and problems in our lives that are literally blocking our prayer. That's why I believe when people are filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking tongues, as in the uh, Acts chapter, I believe that there is a biblical case 
and in the Assemblies of God, we believe this, that there are times when um, it talks about groanings, that, that the, the Spirit will help you to pray when you don't even know how to pray. You hit some kind of low point where you're like, I don't even know what to say to God. And, and in a moment when, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and begins to speak through you, that the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. And I, and I believe there's a case to say that that's because Satan cannot understand what's being prayed. That he cannot mess with that prayer. And so prayer is powerful, and if there's hindrances to it, you are knocking down the power that God has afforded you to reach him and to change situations in your life. So there's a way to think and live that will help your prayers, and it has three parts. It it implies that prayer can be hindered. Our our prayer life, as I said, can be clogged or blocked. Um, What blocks prayer is often our lives, the way we live, the way we relate to uh, others, our spouses, our family members. Uh, and then th- three, opening the way of prayer to God involves a conscience endeavor. That means you have to make the decision to unblock your prayer. Okay? I'll just pray that God unblocks my prayer. I'll just pray that God... Un- Nobody got that. I'll just pray... No, you, there's, there's a conscious decision that says, you know what? I do feel like maybe I'm drying up inside. I do feel like I'm losing control of my, my emotions and my clear thoughts and I don't feel like I have a handle on things like, like I should. Then, then maybe I need to realize that, that, that maybe I've got something standing between me and communicating with God because he knows I've got those issues. He knows that I need to be relieved of them and I'm praying about them. They're not being answered. What is my life? And this goes back to how I grew up. How often do we ask ourselves, what in my life do I need to get rid of to get closer to you, Lord? Reveal to me. If I'm clueless, reveal to me what needs to go. We may joke and laugh about the record burnings back when they had records, uh, younger kids. That's a, a, a piece of vinyl that you put on a round thing and, you, and it plays music. It, it's before the cassette tape and before the 8-track. You can watch YouTube and it explains. But anyway... But, you know, if it was like ACDC record and they had a youth group come out in a bonfire and they throw them in and you hear the stories about them jumping out of the fire screaming and maybe that's true, not, you know, the, the demonic stuff that happened. But, but anyway, it was a quest to say, I want to get rid of anything that would block me from God. And I remember being in those youth services before they do those and they talk about the fact that we want to be holy. We, we, it's not an outward thing. It's not a legalistic thing. It's literally that if I can discover anything that's keeping me from God, then I want to get rid of it. It's what I've said many times. I believe the nat- uh, character and nature of Paul, if you admire the Apostle Paul, his is one of living in submission, not permission. In other words, what can I give up for the cause of Christ instead of what can I get away with for the cause of Christ? And in, in especially younger generations, hear me, those of you that are under, under, let's just pick 35 years old, which is, you know, some of you are like, now you're just talking about me. But, 35 years old, especially the culture that, that you've been exposed to, it, in church culture, popular church culture, we can vilify the smoke machines, we can vilify the, the laser lights and all that stuff, and, and what we're really trying to pick out is what is about this is less holy than the worship that we used to experience. And I'll tell you, it's probably none of that stuff, but, but what it is is more of a spirit of permission instead of submission. Well, I can still listen to all that music I listened to before and love Jesus because that can't hurt me. We cut off the the search for for sanctification. We cut off the the process for sanctification. 
I feel like our heart should always be crying out, what can I do different? What can I do? It's not an insecurity in our salvation. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I haven't rejected that. I haven't turned and walked away from the Lord and said, I don't want salvation anymore. I, I'm still saved. But I'm saying is, I know that my life does not line up with the way Christ would have me living. I'm not there yet. I may never arrive there completely, but I don't feel like I'm progressing. So what is it in my life do I need to get rid of to progress? And I, and I started thinking about many of the sermons God's teaching me. And this is on prayer. But, but, but if you think about it, it's so, it's so connected. It, it's like a direct line connection to our prayer life that I've been saying, guys, we need to ask ourselves, am I getting better? Is there anything about me that others will look at me and say, that is a Christ follower? Not because I've told them, not because they see me carrying my Bible, not because I have a WWJD bracelet, not because of my Christian apparel, what is it about your character nature, your attitude, your speech, your action, the way you carry yourself? What is it about you that tells people, I am a believer? If you're sharp-tongued, if you're divisive, if, if, if you're, you get attitudes with people easy, if you have struggles in your relationships, you can't seem to keep relationships even with good godly people, that you just seem to drive people away, or you just seem to, then you have to be honest with yourself. It's not that I'm asking you to come tell me. I'm not asking you to come confront you know, and you know, your problems tell me and be embarrassed in front of me. I'm saying, why, you have to ask yourself, why would I not ask myself internally before the Lord? Why is that, Lord? What am I feeding myself that's causing that? Maybe it's the music. A lot of times it's television and what we watch. I'm I, I just telling you, you don't want to do it, but the litmus test is, you know, kids under age 18 just put them in front of the TV and let them select what they want and watch the attitude change depending on their selection. You'll watch them emulate eventually what they're watching, what they idolize. Adults do it too. We just think we're too mature for that. We don't realize we are. But I guarantee you a lot of the things that you struggle with in your relationship with God are probably quickly connected to what you feed yourself through entertainment. Whatever entertainment that is. Video games, whatever. I, I, I'm not just going to pick about that, but I'm just saying, our prayer life can be being hindered greatly. This church, you start tying, hey, we need to be better disciples. You hear me say that. We need to reach people for Christ, but we need to retain them and grow them. And, and why don't people just jump at, hey, there's a new believer. I think I'll just call up Wes. And I think I'll just call it, I'll get Wes's number. I'm going to call him and say, hey, would you like to either pray over the phone or get together and pray? Can I, can I do a Bible study with you? Why, why is that not happening, I think? Because maybe we have roadblocks to our prayer. We're not, we may not progress in our relationship with God, and so there's no hunger and drive to do anything other than what we do right now. And if there's no hunger to do anything other than what we're doing right now with the Lord, then we have to ask ourselves, why? Why? I'm not asking you to ask yourself anything different than I've been asking myself a lot. Why? Why, why am I not getting closer? What is blocking me? Lord, what is blocking me? If, it's, if, if, you're, if my prayers are not being answered, then what is blocking it? In other words, a free, open, real, satisfying life of prayer is not automatic. It's actually not a right. I have a right to a good prayer life. No, no, the Lord, the Lord gave a free gift offered of salvation. But what he requires of you is a relationship. 
And that takes action on your part. So it's not a right that's a free automatic gift. It's, it's a matter, it's just the same thing as if I, I've used this illustration, but I think it's a great one. If I get married and I decide I'm just not going to speak to my wife for the first five years, and I'll save that for later, how long is the marriage going to last? Not very long. What if, what if my conversations only surface with her? Less than one evening of dating. What did you do today? Okay, there's a list. What are you doing tomorrow? Okay, there's a list. All right, I'll absorb myself in my phone tonight and I'll go to bed. How long? How long? Until there's a roadblock in a relationship. How often is your eyes on your phone and not your spouse or your kids? How often are the electronic devices stealing the relationship time from your family? I'm hitting myself real hard in the gut right now. So I'm telling you, there's no mystery to why prayer is often blocked. Because if we are handling our relationships here that way, then how are we handling our relationship with the Heavenly Father? Probably he's getting the same response. He's seeing the top of our head, whereas the rest of everybody else is seeing the top of our head too. Because our face is in our devices. I'm not here to pick on device. I'm just saying, when you ask yourself, what is the roadblock? You have to get real down and dirty honest and just say, because I know it. I, I'm sitting there the other, the other uh, few days back, family get-togethers and holidays, and I caught myself, I'm looking at my phone, I'm thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. I've got family that hasn't seen me in a while, all the way from Nebraska. And I look over and I see someone else. And there I'm thinking, oh, well, they're, they're doing that. And so, <laughs> Yeah? Man, I don't think I'd be any more honest with you. I, I, if I went through all my real private struggles that, I don't, that we you know, don't like to share openly, that's the only way I could get any more honest with you right now. But free, open, real, satisfying life of prayer is not automatic. It doesn't just happen while you're, while you're passive. If it did, these three texts would, would be pointless. How, how good your prayer life is has something to do with your actions. You don't want your prayers to be hindered because when your prayers are hindered, it means you're not connecting with God and that God himself starts to seem distant and unreal. It's not that he is distant and unreal. It's that that's the after effect. That's the aftertaste of a suffering prayer life, a roadblock prayer life. To wake up in the morning or go to bed at night and to lie there and stare at the ceiling and feel it's not real, he's not listening. That's a terrible feeling. To try to formulate a prayer and feel utterly phony because your mind is so full of worldly stuff and earthly feelings and fleshly desires that, that are, you know, that a sweet, peaceful, confident co communion with God and prayer seems about impossible, like as if you're trying to fly the moon. And listen, I've been there with my wife where we are, are letting things get between our relationship and we're not communicating and all of a sudden the kids need spiritual guidance and we start trying to pour into them and tell them things that we're not doing ourselves and then you get that sinking feeling and look at each other like, we're such hypocrites, right? We're telling our kids to, to do something we're not practicing ourselves. It's a horrible feeling. So I'm saying that Peter wants to spare you that. I want to spare you that. I want to avoid it myself at any price. And it may need, be that we need changes at home or, or at work. Or, but nothing's more important than unclogging the streams of prayer and power that are clogged at home. It, it may be that changes need to be made in the wider circle of relationships. Maybe home is going better or going good, but you're still um, treating your boss as if, as if he's the one that makes your future. 
He's the one that holds your future. He's your provider. And so you're struggling with that relationship because you haven't yet released it. That God is your provider. Jesus is a friend of the strict closer brother. You're just an alien passing through. And he's your ministry opportunity. Or she. When Peter says in chapter 4, verse 7, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the sake of your prayers, he means that there are disciplines of the mind and spirit which can preserve unhindered prayer in your life. And tonight we have the opportunity to pray together. And I've purposely left uh, at least 15 minutes. I meant to leave 25 minutes, but I left 15 minutes. And yeah, if you want to, Ken, that's great. Um, listen, I know some of you, there, there are singles in here. There are kids that, that maybe, you know, if uh, one parent's not here, uh, especially, yeah, Ferguson, I know your dad's up there, but you can go up there and pray with them. I'd like to see families or spouses pray together. If you're single, there's a couple of single guys, uh, at least th- three single guys in here. Maybe you guys gather up and pray together. And Jen's back there, so I'll come pray with you guys. Um, but youth, uh, young adults, if you have family here, just gather a family. And anyone that doesn't have family here, if you're uh, single, you can come up here with me. But I want you to pray out loud for each other. I don't want you to, I don't want you to stand there and quietly, oh, Jesus, I want you to reach the Lord and, and Listen, some of the things may have to be internal because there may be some things you need to clear up with the Lord. Say, Lord, what is it? What am, what's hindering my prayer? Each one of us, no matter what our age, is setting the example for those that come behind us. And even you singles, there are people who come in this place who are new believers. You're setting the example. And listen, they're looking to you to say, how do you talk to the Lord? How do you reach the Lord? They want to know also because prayer is not easy. It doesn't come easy. So don't let there be any hindrances to your prayer. Let's gather together as spouses, families, family members, singles up here. It's the deep, the, the one.